welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of PR Week. going to guide you gently through the next 15 minutes as we review the week's events, and there have been plenty of them. We'll be doing this in the company of Frank Washcook, PR Week's News Editor, and Diana Bradley, our uh, Corporate Reporter. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure, Frank, always, and um, you're going to be in charge for the next couple of weeks while I'm at the World Cup in Brazil, aren't you? It's a dangerous prospect. What, me being in Brazil or you being in charge? Probably both. Okay. And Diana, how are you? I'm good, thank how's you. How's young Preston? He's, he's fantastic. And how's the stroller? The, the stroller, yeah, we were just talking about bringing a stroller. Strollers on, on trains, train. listeners. Yeah, tough as you can imagine, it's really fun. Yeah, I can, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to pay even more attention uh, after your stories of how people <laughs> totally ignore the, the, the child and um, sort of act as if it's not there. Anyway, let's move on to PR and communications issues. Uh, we'll be talking about GM again because uh, they fired a bunch of people in response to the recall crisis. Um, so we'll talk about that and see whether that, that might draw a line under it. We'll talk about the White House press position. Jay Carney is stepping down down and uh, to be replaced by Josh Ernest. We'll talk about that and we'll talk about the position in general and how it's changed over the years. Cision and Vocus, the prospect of them merging is moving much closer. What does that mean for PR professionals? And some sad news, um, the founder of one of the big agencies, Cone and Wolf, one of the founders there has passed away. We will reflect on his life and we'll talk a little bit about net neutrality. You might have seen John Oliver on HBO eviscerating the cable companies over that issue. So we'll We'll talk about how they're responding and, and that issue in general and the two sides of it. So let's start with GM. Diana, um, talking on Thursday as we are, um, there's been some firings there of people, uh, some managers um, in, in response to this recall crisis. Talk us through that and talk us through the strategy behind that in terms of communications. They've obviously been in trouble with this issue for a number of months and, and I guess they'll be hoping that will draw a line under it. GM has fired 15 staffers as part of its response to um, a report that uh, Anton Volukas, uh, he, he was set up to basically do an independent inquiry into um, the, the GM's crisis and uh, his report basically blamed GM's internal culture um, but it spared Barra, its board and former CEO Dan Eckerson of most of the blame but stated that they didn't know about the defect until December of last year. Um, Barra actually described Volucas' report this morning in a state or Thursday morning in a statement as extremely thorough, brutally tough, and deeply troubling. Um, the report notes how no one took responsibility or demonstrated a sense of urgency to fix the issue. Employees also didn't raise the problems at the highest levels of the company. So Barra has asked 15 staffers who are determined to have acted inappropriately in conjunction with the crisis and disciplinary actions were taken against five additional employees and the company is also implementing a compensation program for victims. And so I guess this is, I mean, they commissioned that inquiry and it's an in independent inquiry, so I guess yes. what they're trying to do is kind of take the sting out of it before any other official inquiries are called or the government takes action. And, and it's a fairly tough report, so Mary Barra, the CEO, will be hoping that that sort of goes some way towards drawing a line under this issue in terms of them responding and, and acting. Yes, exactly. And, um, 
Today she was very, she wanted to come across as very honest and open and direct in, in her communications and she expressed that, uh, she, she specifically said to GM staffers that the company's internal culture and behavior must change. She encouraged them to speak up and even contact her directly if they think a problem isn't being handled properly. Um, she's said that GM is redoubling efforts to meet all recommendations and expects them to be completed by the end of the second quarter. Um, and on Twitter this morning, her performance received mixed reviews. Uh, some commented on how the speech included few specifics, such as who the fire GM executives were, and others commended her on her speech and plan to change the company's internal culture. Yeah, because she's uh, had mixed reviews over, overall, hasn't she, Frank, since yeah. the crisis hit and the, the hearings in D.C.? She, there didn't seem to be some, any proactive uh, right. measures happening. <laughs> so maybe they're, they're, they'll be hoping that this does, you know, That's does true. a trick and, for them. And when you read the responses on Twitter, you do realize what a tough crowd it is, especially from other executives and business journalists and things of that nature, in that uh, folks always have a lot more questions than they're probably legally advised to answer up on stage. So, yeah. um, you know, I do think people give her the benefit of the doubt because she's only been in the role a number yeah, of years. Yeah, and that's one of the problems, isn't it? The legal yeah. counsel, general counsel's been involved in all this communication around it, and it's very limiting for the comms folks. Right. Uh, we know that, that they were limited in what they could do. But the crazy thing is that uh, sales were up something like 13 percent yes and um, it's it's amazing and that you look at it and you go well the dealerships are either running the greatest sales in the world on GM cars or reputationally this hasn't affected them at all and that's kind of hard to believe considering like the mountains of bad press they got out of it I mean it's just tremendous amount of bad press yeah I'm sure there were some deals available but I do think that that is you know people sort of accept uh, recalls as kind of part of uh, yeah. the environment all automakers are going to have them at some point and it's you know they're, they're happy to accept a deal to get a GM car so I guess it's a testament to the strength of the brand as well and they want to buy American yeah. so yeah uh, interesting stuff thanks Diana okay Frank you've been doing um, a lot of work this week on the White House press secretary situation with uh, that, that position switching as Jay Carney steps down talk us through that specifically and then talk us through some of the findings that you've uh, discovered um, in talking about the way the role has changed. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked to a lot of good people this week uh, about the transition from Jay Carney as White House Press Secretary to Josh Ernest, uh, which is going to officially happen next month, but they're already preparing for it. Um, the long story short is that the press secretary role is still gigantically important, and the daily briefings are still the sort of thing that appear on the nightly news, and the political buffs and the people whose jobs depend on it listen to them and watch them. And it's the sort of thing that world leaders watch if they want to know uh, which way the, gov the American government is leaning on something. Um, but it's also a, more of a piece of the pie instead of the whole meal. Uh, to make a food analogy, which I'm fond of. Uh, so, Thanks for good um, pictures for us. Yeah, right? exactly. But look, the big craze in marketing, in general consumer marketing, is to create content now. And the White House is no different in how they do this. To create infographics, they push their message out in a lot of other ways. Does that mean that the press secretary is less important? No, not at all, but it's part of a bigger program, part of a bigger team. And that's one thing that the newer press secretaries have gotten used to. Um, so the sort of daily morning briefing is less of a big uh, 
events for the media or for their communications because they're sort of doing it directly or, or all, all, all around the day. Well, yes and no. It's still a big event, but it is now one of many different messaging events that happen throughout the day. Uh, folks have told us they have mixed opinions on whether or not it's actually more combative than it used to, but they pretty much agree it's a little bit more theatric, uh, both from the reporter's side and from the press secretary's side. Uh, we'll have some great tidbits about the, uh, the press secretary office in and of itself uh, in, the, in the analysis we're putting out this week about it, including when and why Robert Gibbs, the former Obama press secretary, signed up for Twitter. So, you know, little interesting tidbits like that that we'll have in it, as well as a general overview of what the position has Great. become and Sounds what Ernest has to look forward to when he gets into the room. Looking forward to reading that, Frank. So just a, a, a final word on Carney. Why, was, why did he step down? Why is he stepping down? And, and was he considered to have done a good job? And what do we know about, know about the new guy? Well, Carney, it's worth pointing out, had been in the role since 2011. He had been there three years. That's a very long tenure for a press secretary. So um, he had asked to leave in April. Um, the burnout rate among positions like this is very high, and that people do it for a year or two and they're exhausted. Uh, so that seems to be the biggest reason why. Uh, three years is almost a record for the recent past few administrations. So he was definitely there a long time. Um, look, I think he got mixed reviews based on party lines in a lot of ways. Um, the Obama administration in and of itself had been under fire for being a little bit harsher with journalists than previous administrations had as far as you know, some Justice Department uh, dealings with it and things of that nature. So uh, he may have had the deck stacked against him a little bit in that case. Yeah. Um, Quick word on the new guy. Word on the new guy. Here's what's interesting. So we talked about content creation as part of marketing strategy. Uh, Josh Ernest was the guy largely behind West Wing Week, which is this sort of uh, program, internet-based program that the White House had put out every week about essentially what it did in the previous week. Uh, so it was sort of their own version of the, the content creation trend. He was the guy behind it, now he's moving up to the big press secretary role. Uh, so it shows you the importance of content uh, in the world. He's also been a deputy secre uh, press secretary for a couple of years. So as one person said to me, he might have the best amount of experience going into the role because he knows exactly what to expect. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. So the, even the government is its own content owner these days and is bypassing the sort of independent media. Thank you, Frank. Let's uh, find out about Cision and Vocus, Diana. They're um, uh, emerging and um, uh, they've been uh, bought by private equity firm. Talk us through that deal and what is, what's it going to mean for PR pros? Sure. So um, they have announced that they're intending to merge. Yeah. Um, so they haven't actually merged yet. But basically Monday, um, Peter Granite left the role of CEO and President Decision to join Vocus as CEO, while Magnus Thel replaced Granite as President and CEO of Cision in the interim. Um, he will continue his current role as head of Cision Europe. But um, private equity firm GTCR, which owns Focus and the majority of Cision, plans to, firm, to form a global PR cloud company by bringing the two companies together. Um, critics don't seem to understand how the deal would benefit customers. For example, uh, 
One critic said um, that investors see more to Vocus's offering than customers do, while another one said that um, if a company's contract with Vocus or Cision is about to come up for renewal, she'd advise against locking yourself in until GTCR decides what products to keep. Yeah, that's a good piece of advice, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, so in response, um, Granite said that the merger will address the changing needs of PR professionals in a rapidly evolving industry through the company's respective offerings. He couldn't really give more detail at the moment because that all, that's all you know to come. Uh, they just announced um, that the two companies would um, merge, but he also added that numerous, uh, although numerous PR agencies have merged in the last few years, companies still have many firms to choose from in the marketplace. Um, likewise, with tech startups constantly launching competition in the software industry will continue to increase. Yeah, I suppose it's um, a reflection of the business that maybe there isn't enough to support two big uh, operators like that and uh, that uh, together they might be a more sustainable and um, profitable company moving forward. But that's an interesting point about the clients. Just as with the Omnicom and Publicis merger, the clients seemed to be at the bottom of the list there, didn't they? And that was one of the reasons it fell apart, I think. So we'll see, one, whether this happens. I think this probably will happen, won't it? And then we'll see what Peter Granite does in his new role at uh, Vocus as CEO. So uh, interesting times and uh, good advice there for PR pros who, uh, especially those whose uh, contracts might be coming up for renewal. Um, Frank, just talk us through um, a sad, um, sad news about the death of one of the founders of uh, Conan Wolf. That's right. So uh, Norman Wolf, who co-founded uh, the Conan Wolf agency with Bob Conan in 1970, uh, died earlier this week. Uh, he worked on a lot of projects during his tenure at the firm, uh, which was very much Atlanta-based in his day. I think we tend to think of Conan Wolf mostly New York. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, Definitely more Atlanta-based than now, including installing runways at Hartsfield International Airport in Atlanta, working on the city's interstates, which was a huge deal before they got the Olympics in, in the late 80s and early 90s. It was just a gigantic news story back then. Uh, sold the firm to Young and Rubicam 14 years after founding it. Uh, so he's been retired since 1992. and. Yeah, unfortunate news that he passed away earlier this week. Yeah, sympathies to his family and to the Conan Wolf family, and um, yeah, our thoughts with uh, everybody um, involved there. Um, did you see the John Oliver show, Frank, last Sunday, when he slightly eviscerated the cable companies over this whole net neutrality issue? I did not. Your HBO uh, subscription has run out, has it? Um, well. We won't talk about it. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a, a fine piece of comedy. Well, I don't know whether you call it comedy, but it was a um, topical comment anyway. And uh, he really went for the cable companies over this whole issue of net neutrality, which uh, a lot of people are worried that will create a two-tier internet where people will pay in, and to be in a fast lane, especially sort of companies with high bandwidth content and the rest of the internet will have to get by on uh, ordinary internet and um, they may suffer because of that. So but it's, a, it's a fascinating issue which we picked up on this week with uh, Sarah Shearman doing an interesting piece, very timely. Um, have you got any views on this? I mean, do you, do you think... Um, well, cable companies are kind of like the, the new oil companies, aren't they? <laughs> 
nobody seems to have an affinity for their cable company. They don't. No. You know, and no one. And look, it's a it's a tough spot maybe for them to be in, but no one seems to really love their cable company. And um, you know, it, it does seem like as a speaking strictly from the customer angle here, your bill goes up every couple of months. Uh, and a lot of times you don't see a lot of improved services for the bill going up. So, and I think a lot of people would agree with that, despite whatever company that they have a subscription with. I mean, you're also seeing the Time Warner um, Comcast merger. Yeah, that's planned. Yeah, which um, look, I mean, it's been painted in the press, fairly or not, as you know, a rich get richer situation. So uh, we'll see how it turns out, but. You know, I think consumers just don't have a lot of love for their cable companies, no matter who it is. It is a tricky communications challenge for them, and it comes down to their personal experiences of the product, doesn't yeah. it, and the people. So it just uh, shows how important those interactions are with customers and how, mu how much they forge the reputation. But um, there, yeah. was a, there was a great piece this morning, and I'm forgetting where I read it, but um, Netflix, when it has... Uh, slow streaming times sometimes. We'll put a message on screen, essentially saying, uh, "Look, it's the cable company's fault <laughs> that we can't that we can't get this to you faster." And that's well, for one, they're sort of partners with these cable companies, so one, it makes you wonder how this affects their negotiations. But two, it's it's really interesting that they're so eager to lay blame in that way. Um, but I, I will have to catch up on that. Yeah, it's a sort Sorry, of a frenemy type situation, isn't yeah. it? Um, but the other thing is that a two-speed internet is not really um, in simpatico with the original intention of right. the internet, which was very much opening up information to everybody and being free access to and open access for everybody. So that issue is going to run and run, and we will um, definitely continue to cover that. But check out the piece by Sarah Sheerman, a very good piece. Uh, right, thank you, Frank. Thank you, Diana. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm off to Brazil next week for the World Cup, so I'm going to be out of the pocket for a couple of weeks. I'll leave you with Frank and Gideon Fiddlesites uh, for the podcast. What's your prediction for how well England will do? Well, I just watched England yesterday struggle to a 2-2 draw with um, Ecuador and um, our defence and we have a very young team and our defence is paper thin so I must admit I wasn't very uh, encouraged by that performance. I think we'll struggle against Italy and Uruguay um, in our group and if we get out of that group I think it'll be a great achievement but it's a young team, it's probably a bit early for them this tournament but um, it's the first World Cup I've ever been to and it's in Brazil so I think I'll still manage to enjoy myself but England uh, fans do have a habit of building up their team and uh, you know but we haven't as we haven't won it since 1966 so uh, is yeah. it a case where in these friendlies right before the world cup they just don't show a heck of a lot like isn't like with the preseason games of american football where they just don't show the yeah it's a, it's a little bit like that although there were two sendings off yesterday yeah. or ejections however you want to do it so yeah. it was a bit feisty um but yeah it was definitely at a pretty slow pace and it was it'll when the serious action starts in italy even in the massive heat of manaus i think it'll be a, a different thing but um, yeah I just think the England defence is a bit weak and uh, I think we'll struggle there we've got some good attacking players but so uh, we'll see um, and, and uh, we'll see how the US does as well um, 
bit of controversy there with Landon Donovan, the most famous player, being uh, left out of the squad. So we'll see how uh, they perform too. And um, I will look forward to seeing you back at the end, end of the month. And uh, I will miss you terribly, of course. I'm we sure. will hold down the fort for you. Yes, I'm sure this feeling is entirely mutual. In that time, remember the Diversity Awards. You've got until June 19th to get your entries in there. Please do uh, make sure that you've uh, got, got your best work and best case studies, best initiatives uh, presented. We would really want to encourage um, people to enter that and, and do our bit to try and raise awareness of that issue. Um, my colleague Bernadette Casey will be in Cannes. I'm not able to go this year because I'm in Brazil, so Bernadette's going to represent PR Week there. Um, so if you're going to Cannes, uh, do reach out to us and we'll hook you up with Bernadette. Um, great event we're running there in uh, conjunction with MSL. Um, on millennials, great panel. So do uh, if you want details of that, reach out. Um, but that's all we've got time for. So uh, we'll see you next time on the PR Week.